Thank you, that was beautiful. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 61, beginning with verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a gar garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And skip down to verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Everlasting joy. Joy to the world. Joy to the world is a Christmas carol that we all are very familiar with. It expresses the sentiments of the Old Testament passage that we just read. We sing this jubilant song to give glory to God for sending his son as a baby so that we might be saved. The theme of this song and the scripture that we just read is joy. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn in 1719. The interesting thing about the hymn though is that the only line that you could relate to the birth of Jesus is the very first line where it says, joy to the world, the Lord is come. There's no mention of Mary, Joseph, angels, a manger, or wise men. Also, Watts didn't even write the hymn off of the Luke 2 Christmas story. He actually wrote it off of Psalm 98. Yet, it's still a beloved Christmas carol. And that's because it really catches the true essence of Christmas, which is joy. Joy to the world is a very fitting title for this hymn. Christ's coming, whether his first or his second, is a universal joy inclusive to all rich or poor, educated or uneducated, healthy or unhealthy, all. The night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there were shepherds tending to their flocks. They didn't think anything different of this night because they had done the same thing every other night. But little did they know what was about to happen would change not only their lives and billions of other lives, but it would change the world forever. In Luke 2, verse 10, the angels say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The angels came to, give, came to give a message that would remove the fear and replace it with joy. Great joy. Everlasting joy. Unfortunately, Satan has meticulously induced these feelings of fear and removed joy from our lives, which is just the opposite of what the true meaning of Christmas is. Fear that we won't get our house decorated perfectly. Fear that Christ the Christmas cards won't get sent out on time. Or fear that we won't be able to cross off every gift on our loved one's Christmas, li Christmas list. Satan has been really good at deceiving from the very beginning, going behind God's work and deceiving Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to stop them and the rest of mankind from experiencing pure, everlasting joy. Joy to the world because the Lord has come has become has been replaced with focusing on the gifts that we will get and the ones that we need to buy, and so instead it has become Santa Claus is coming to town. It really breaks my heart to hear at Christmas how 
the world tries to convince us that the reason why Christmas is such a time of joy and celebration is because of all the gifts. And I love getting gifts, and I also love giving gifts, but I don't think that this is the, uh, but I do believe that if that's all that Christmas is about to us, we've sort of missed the whole point. Because the point is that our Savior came to this earth and was born in a manger as a human being just for all of us to have eternal life. The world has removed Jesus from the picture and replaced him with Santa. But let me bring Jesus back into the picture for you through a poem called Reason for the Season. Santa lives in the North Pole. Jesus is everywhere. Santa rides in a sleigh, but Jesus rides on the wind and walks on the water. Santa comes but once a year, but Jesus is an ever-present help. Santa fills your stockings with goodies, while Jesus supplies you with all of your needs. Santa comes down your chimney uninvited, but Jesus stands at your door, knocks, and enters your heart. You have to stand in line to see Santa, but Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Santa doesn't really know your name. All he can say is, hi, little boy or little girl, what's your name? But Jesus knew your name before you were even born. Not only does he know your name, but he knows your address, too. He also knows your history and your future, and he knows just how many hairs are on your head. Santa has a belly full of jelly. Jesus has a heart full of love. All Santa can offer is ho, 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 but Jesus offers help, hope, and health. Santa says, you better not cry, while Jesus says, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. Santa's little helpers make toys. Jesus makes new life, mends wounded hearts, repairs broken homes, and builds mansions in heaven. Santa may make you chuckle, but Jesus gives joy, everlasting joy, that is your strength. While Santa puts gifts under your tree, Jesus became our gift and died on a tree. There's honestly no comparison. Christmas is about a savior. It's not about all the little gifts, it's about grace. Jesus will always be the reason for the season. Another great Christmas song is The Little Drummer Boy. It's actually my dad's favorite um, Christmas song, and it has a really nice little story that goes on within it. Basically, there's this little drummer boy who is going to visit Jesus with a bunch of other people, and everybody's bringing really nice gifts because, I mean, the king was born. But the little drummer boy says, I am a poor boy too. I have no gifts to bring that are fit to give a king. But then he gets the idea to play for baby Jesus. And the little drummer boy says that he played his best for Jesus. And at the end of the song, it says that Jesus smiled at the boy, the boy in his drum. I love this song, not only for its cute little storyline or all the pa-rumpa-pum-pums, but also for the meaning. It serves as a reminder that the price of the gift is not what matters. It's the fact that we show love. Jesus loved us before we did anything at all. And although we still have no gift to give back that's fit for our king, all we need to do is show him that we love him and he still smiles at us. As we begin celebrating Christmas, my prayer is that we remember that the best news you hear on Christmas is that the Lord has come. And that is why there is joy, everlasting joy in the world. Amen. Thank you very much, Rachel.
First of all, I just wanted to say choir, orchestra sounded fantastic. So, yes, Jesus truly is the joy of the world. His believers were truly overjoyed when he came the first time, and now we have a second coming to look forward to. In this world, it's almost looked down upon to be a believer, but we have hope. Matthew 10.22 says, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Although the world may look down on us, because we have our faith, we have one favor in God's eyes and will be saved when he returns. One of my biggest fears is always not being ready for Jesus' return and him coming without me expecting it. However, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm going to be starting at verse 4. It says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. This passage gives me hope, knowing that as long as I walk with God and follow his examples, his return won't surprise me. Because God doesn't want us to be surprised, he gave us signs that we know it's coming. Turn with me to Matthew 24, starting at verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. These are some of the signs that we are given of the second coming. Keep in mind that these are not signs saying that Jesus is coming tomorrow or all these things just happened. He must be coming next week or something. These signs are reminders to tell us that Jesus is indeed coming soon. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. We can't believe everything that we hear. There have been people who have falsely claimed to be a savior, a god, or even the Messiah who has come to save us all. Unless we know the truth, we would fall for these tricks and be deceived and lost. But God warns us that we know not to trust these things and not to follow them. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. This is very prominent today. If you look around and you look at the news, you see terrifying things. Countries competing for nuclear superiority, threats being made by people with weapons they shouldn't have, growing tensions between political superpowers. It's truly terrifying. And militaristic wars aren't the only wars that we will see. There are political wars within countries between two groups who have clashing ideas. Religious wars in between religions who just can't seem to get along. You have extremists from different religions saying this is the only religion and this is the only acceptable way to live. You have hateful people condemning people for what they believe and people just rebelling against biblical law without even caring. However, such things must happen, but we have our joy and our hope. Our joy that Jesus will come again and our hope that he will come soon. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. With all the recent natural disasters, just here in the United States and along our border and our coast, how can we deny that Jesus will return soon? First of all, just hurricanes. 
We've had major hurricanes hit Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico. And here's a little statistic for you. On average, three major hurricanes hit the United States every five years. We had three major hurricanes hit in a span of two months. Earthquakes consistently throughout California. That's not news, but there was one here Thursday night, and the Category 8 earthquakes in Mexico around the same time as the hurricanes. Fires spreading throughout California and Oregon, and now a volcano about to erupt in Bali. If it seems like the end of the world, that's because these are the signs. But this is no reason to be afraid, but it's all the reason to rejoice. I'm not, I'm not a nihilist, but the Bible says these things will lead up to the soon coming of Christ. It might be hard to find joy at times with these circumstances, but we should never lose hope. As long as our hope is in Jesus, Jesus will be the joy of our lives. And I have a story for you that ties together deception, hope, lies, and joy. And no, it's not the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the story about how I got my car. <laughs> so, it all started as soon as I turned old enough to get my permit. I woke up to my parents. Okay, when's it happening? And they're like, uh, maybe she'd wait a while. So, okay, I'm waiting and I'm waiting one month, two months, three months, six months, seven months, 10 months. 11 months pass before I get my permit. And after I get my permit, I'm so excited to start driving. So I start driving our Honda Civic. It's a wonderful car. But I start thinking, as soon as I get my license, I want to get my own car. And so it's a little different. As soon as I can get my license, maybe two weeks later, I go and take the test and I pass. Keep driving the Civic for a little while. But then I start thinking about my dream car. My dream car is a Mazda Miata. It's a nice little roadster, two-seater. It's nice and fast. It's just mm, wonderful. And so we start looking for a car, and I find one in my price range, and I'm like, guys, look, we can afford that. And my parents are like, yeah, but we're not getting that for you. And I'm just like, oh. But it makes sense, because it's a little two-seater, and I'm going off to college in a couple months, so it's just not practical. But it kind of crushed my joy, you know? It's kind of like a hurricane or some other natural disaster came and just destroyed it. <laughs> But I really like Mazda, so we keep looking at Mazdas, and we find this nice Mazda 6. And my dad goes, and he drives it, because it's out in Virginia around where he works. He's like, oh, Ethan, it's so nice. It drives so well. It's so comfortable, so much space. And then he shows me the pictures. But since, since it's going to be my first car, I'm looking for all the little scratches and the little dings. And to me, I'm just like, Dad, I, I'm sorry. I just can't drive that. It's too beat up. My dad keeps telling me, it's not as bad as it looks. You're just trying to pick out the little things that you see. And so I keep fighting it and fighting it. Then eventually I'm like, okay, let's try to work out a deal with them on the car. And so my dad calls them because there were some problems with the car. So we had called them earlier to see if they could fix them before we bought it. He calls them, hey, so uh, when's this going to be ready to pick up? Oh, you were still interested? We, we sold the car yesterday. And so then, my joy crushed. And so my mom and dad are still looking for cars, and my mom finds this Mazda 3 along Georgia Avenue. So we drive by, but I'm not really wanting that car because, you know, it's not as fast as the other one. That's about it, but, you know. 
we go and we sit in it because it's too late to test drive it because the dealership's about to close. And I'm telling my mom, yeah, it's really nice. I love it. It's, it's wonderful. And on the inside, I'm like, I don't want this car. I don't want this car. I don't want this car. But we still look at it and it's one of our options now. And, but we find another Mazda 6 for sale. And I'm like, yes, because, you know, it's faster. Um, so we go and we go to test drive it and the guy tells us that he's done all these things to it, new suspension, replaced all the oil gaskets, a new clutch. And so we start driving it. And at first it's pretty smooth and then my dad starts noticing some things like there's a little, a little weirdness with the clutch, the exhaust didn't sound quite right. But it felt nice for the most part. So at the end of the test drive we pull over and we open the hood and we're greeted by smoke. And so we're like, this guy was lying to us. He had deceived us. And so my dad says, hey, you said you had the receipt for all these repairs he had done to it. And the guy's like, oh yeah, let me go check. And he goes and he looks and he's like, yeah, so I kind of lost the receipts. Maybe I could take it to the Mazda dealer to go see if it was actually done. And by that point, we're just like, no, we don't want to do this anymore. And again, joy crushed. But now the, that other Mazda 3 is the last thing on my list, and I'm like, you know what, why not go drive it? It's actually the car I have today, and I'll get to that. So my dad and I go out to test drive it, and I'm sitting in the front seat, excited about it, and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be so fun. And so my dad goes out, and we take it out, and I start realizing, wow, this is actually really nice. And so we keep driving, and we keep driving, and we keep driving, and I'm like, oh, I really want this car. And so my joy is starting to be built back up. And then my dad says, do you really want this car? Yes, I really want this car. Do you really want this car? Yes, I really want this car. And so he goes in to negotiate, but he finds a lower price online for the same car sold by the same person, but he had, list he had it listed at two different prices. And so when he goes in to negotiate the price, the guy says, no, it's not my car. It's like, yeah, it is. It's the same picture and everything. He's like, yeah, but it's at a different place. That's the sign of your dealership in the background of that picture. And so we keep working it down and we get the price down and my dad puts down a down payment on the car. And so the guy tells my dad, okay, your car will be ready to pick up tomorrow. I just have to get this inspection done on it. And so my dad comes home and tells me that and I'm jumping for joy like, yes, I can have my car tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. Noon, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, no phone call. My dad calls, hey, so when's it going to be ready? The guy says, oh, maybe tomorrow. Because this is right before Thanksgiving. So he says, yeah, maybe tomorrow, Wednesday, or Friday. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just, I just want my car. And so then the next day comes, and we get a phone call. And I'm so excited, like, yes, I get my car. And then the guy said, so I took it in for the inspection, and it didn't quite pass. So I was freaking out like, did we just put out a down payment on a bad car? It turns out there was a slight problem with one of the window switches, but it's not a big deal. The inspector let it slide. And so then I get my car, and I'm so happy. One problem is, it's a stick shift. I have never driven stick shift before. <laughs> so. I keep hoping and hoping that I'll get it down as my dad teaches me. And as my dad teaches me and I get better and better, I get happier and happier. And right now, 
my car is one of the biggest joys in my life. Like, I could spend three hours just sitting in my car smiling. <laughs> and, you know, it makes me think, if this makes me this happy, no matter what the joy is in your life, if it's your car, if it's spending time with your family and your friends, if it's your phones, then, you know, all that joy pales in comparison to the joy that Jesus will give you. And the joy that Jesus gives, paired with the hope of his soon return, will make for the greatest day of my life when he finally comes. And so, although our time on earth is limited and our joy is limited to the things we have here, as long as we place our joy and our hope in Jesus, how else can I say, we'll be ecstatic just living for eternity with him in heaven. So, as we look forward into the near future and continue to hope that Jesus will come soon, we are reminded that Jesus is the eternal joy and Jesus is the joy to the world.